Welcome back to Soulback. This is the R&B Podcast. Kyle here, back with Ed. Ed, where is Tom today? Well, I was going to say that Tom was off somewhere. It's, knowing Tom is usually something involving chicken and not involving seasoning. But just before I hopped on this podcast, I was eating a little chicken myself. And I'm trying to be all healthy for 2020. So it was the unbreaded kind. It was actually pretty good. I was thinking about Tom. I was like, maybe he's on to something. Maybe. Don't tell him I told you that. Well, it was actually Tom's birthday yesterday, so I'm pretty sure he had a couple of shots of vodka, and now he's not feeling too good, but we'll have to hold it down for <laughs> <That's>, him, <Ed. laughs> I guarantee you that's what happened, and shout out to my lovely wife, because her birthday follows Tom's birthday. So happy birthday to the both of them, but Ed, I hear you're on a health kick, and this might actually distract you from that. Do you know what Dunkaroos are? I do know what Dunkaroos are, but let me tell you my age. I have never had one. Wow. So, for, just to give everyone some background, because I think this is like a 90s kids thing. Like, it is. Late 90s. But it's like graham crackers with like icing. It was the greatest thing of all time, and it was discontinued probably earlier uh, in the last decade, but now it's making a comeback, so... You'll be able to get them in stores this summer. I don't know why I gave them a shameless plug, but shout-outs to them. They're delicious. I was going to say, are they sponsoring us now? But but to your point, you're right. The The youngins in my office, who are probably like mid-20s now, they were too hyped about the return of Dunkaroos. I mean, you would have thought that we were getting a new Brandy album the way they were hyped. But... I never experienced them myself. I remember the commercials. I remember seeing them, but I don't remember eating them. They just look like they look like graham crackers or something that you smeared icing on. Like I feel like I'm doing the work for it. Just put it on my cookie for me. They don't sell the Oreos <laughs> and the cookies on one side and the cream in the other. It's smushed together. Dunkaroos help a brother out. Well, this might scare you a little bit, especially with this whole coronavirus thing going on. So once you ran out of graham crackers, what people would normally do is they would shove their finger to like take the rest of the icing from the uh, package and stick it in their mouth. Is that something Ed Bowser would do? Absolutely not, player. This is the brother that eats french fries with a fork. Do you think I'm going to stick my finger in some goop and like swill it around my teeth? Absolutely not. Have some <laughs> class in this place. Jeez. Well, Ed... Another week of R&B and some interesting news, some new music, some new albums, but I think we got to start out talking about some stuff we didn't get a chance to talk about last week. So, Ed, we yeah. talked about K. Michelle and Kevin Ross and their albums, but there were two other albums that came out last week. We didn't really get a chance to digest in them. Let's start off right now with Luke James' new album. This one came out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, and you're right, we missed a few because I was too busy ranting about Grammys and Blue Eye Soul and everything else. We missed out on some good stuff, and this is one of the good ones. As you know, Luke has long time been someone that we've all admired here on the podcast, and we thought would be one of the flag bearers for R&B going forward. But it just never seemed to take off. He had that incredible mixtape, and he had the album that dropped, and it got mixed reviews. I was a fan. But I know it was mixed reviews there. Then he just kind of started doing the acting thing. Very, very successful, by the way. So now he's kind of dipped back into R&B, and it shows that he's still got a little bit of gas in the tank. I thought this was another project that was not 
kind of out of nowhere. As many people would remember, we weren't really feeling the singles, and I still don't really like the singles here on this project, especially that upbeat kind of turn-up record with, I think it was like BJ the Chicago Kid and somebody else on it. Yeah, that Ro one. James. Yeah, Ro James. That one still doesn't sit well and doesn't really fit the package, but... The overall album I thought was very solid. I like the vibe. feels almost 80-ish. doesn't feel trendy in that kind of... When we say trendy, you know what we mean by now, player. But it sounds like it was trying to kind of create its own sound, be unique. And it worked in that sense. I thought it was a solid project. Yeah, I would say that too. So the album is called To To Be Loved, but two songs that stand out to me, Ed. Um, one was the one with Big Crit. I don't know if you heard that one, but that one I thought I was did. crazy, just production-wise and songwriting-wise. And then the other one that I really liked, it was like that guitar song, Who You Are, which was co- co-written by Lucky Day. That one was a well-written song too. So there's actually a lot of quality on this. I think it's one of those projects, though, that you really have to sit down and digest because when I first hit play, I was like, what is this? This is not what I want. But when I really got a chance to listen to it, I saw what Luke was doing, and I'm a fan. Exactly. And I think a lot of times we as fans have to kind of go on the journey the, the artist wants to take us on. Out of context, sometimes things don't seem like it fits. Like that that song with um, BJ and Ro James, I felt like out of context, that didn't really fit. And even though I'm still not a big fan of that song... When you look at what he was trying to accomplish overall with the project, I'm feeling it. And it was the same thing with his previous album. It wasn't what we expected, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It's just unexpected. And looking at it for what it is, it's a solid piece of work. So, it's, again, we're still waiting on Luke because we know he's got it in him to like give us like this classic groundbreaking project. This isn't it, but it's just very good R&B. And at this point, I'll take it. Absolutely. So, Ed, the other project that came out last week, and shout-outs to Selena Johnson for two reasons, Ed. She has been working out. She's looking great. And then the second part of it is she tweeted our podcast on her Twitter. Yeah, shout-out to the homie. You know, long-time fans of Selena here. And if you didn't know, she can probably beat the crap out of you because she's gotten she's got the cock diesel look now. So... Shout out to her for keeping her fitness. I know fitness has been something that's been a big part of her story for the past few years. So shout out to my girl. She's doing big things. And her new album, Woman, finally is here. So, Ed, her last couple of albums have all been like entitled Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And then last time we heard from Selena in 2017, she released that cover album, mm-hmm. Rebirth of Soul. But this one, Woman... We're no longer doing chapters here, Ed. We're just woman. I guess. No, I guess we're off the. I guess the book is closed, or at least we got a bookmark in the book right now. And now we're kind of going into this thing with this woman. And I think when it comes to the time and era, music always is kind of a reflection of the era. I can't think of a better really time to promote womanhood than right now. And as an album, it does that spectacularly. Again, like Luke James's album. We talked before, I think, you know, she's had a few singles out here and there. And I thought they were okay. They didn't really blow me away. But as the overall package, this is another one that really fits. And the reason why it works so well is because Selena actually created an album here. This is not, this is the same week that we got Lil Wayne coming out with a quote unquote album. There's like 25 songs that there's no cohesion. It's just like random stuff. 
This is an album as in a collection of songs that fit together, sequencing is key, and it tells an overall story for the 45 or so minutes that she takes you on this journey. So when you look at it as an overall package, this is what an album looks like. So shout out to her for giving us what I've been screaming about forever and ever, a real album and not a quote-unquote playlist. And this got some joints on it. I am blanking on the song right now, but there is some song that gave me literal chills. What was the name of that song? I have to look it up um, real quick. But there are some really, really good tracks on this one. Well, Ed, while you're looking that up, can I just say this album titled Woman, obviously about empowerment, about just, you know, the greatness that is woman. And she really put her money to where her mouth is. She worked out. She feels great. She looks great. She sounds great, Ed. You know, you can't really go wrong with that. She did what she set out to do, and she accomplished just that, Ed. Exactly. And that's really, and again, that's part of the spirit of the album. It's just this opportunity to tell a story and use it to not only tell your story, but have it kind of infect and influence other women around her. That's kind of what this album was trying to do. I think the song that I was feeling was Freelance Lover. It's just something about that joint. Go check that out. Throw that in in your in your um, music player of choice since everybody's streaming. You know me, I'm old school. I cop CDs still because I have an old car and I like listening to the CDs. I don't care. So Freelance Lover is my joint, though. There's just something about it that she put some extra emphasis on that joint. So great project. And one of those albums that kind of reminds me of NDRE last year. That come December when I'm doing my top albums of the year and it's on the list and people are like, I don't remember that project. It came out in February. Yeah, player, this came out in February. So before you miss out, go ahead and jump on the bandwagon now. I'm sure it'll be on my list at the end of the year. Oh, absolutely. Now, Ed, let's get into some new artists here because we're not just going to be stuck in the 90s and the 2000s. We got to talk about some new acts here. Her and Lucky Day, they both dropped new records, both off the Photograph soundtrack. I think that movie is out next week, but these songs are out now. Her dropped Comfortable, produced by our boy Camper. And Ed, I don't know how you feel about this song, but I love it. Um, it really reminds me of what we, uh, what she brought to the table with her first couple of EPs. I know there's been a lot of complaints that it's all starting to sound the same, but I really enjoyed this one. I, I don't know whether it's the guitar in the background or just her vocals but i really enjoyed this one well see that's the thing and you know shout out to camper he is our boy and one of our favorite producers of the moment and my criticism is exactly what you said it does kind of sound a little bit too much like typical her i love the guitar and the presence of it she sounds great over that but unfortunately it just sounds like any other the past 20 songs or so we've heard since she dropped her first volume one EP. It's fine is what she does, but it doesn't move me and it doesn't stand out. So it's a solid out. I mean, a solid song, but is it something that I would revisit if, unless it pops up while I'm listening to the photograph playlist, it's not something I'm going to go back and revisit because it's just a standard her song. Hmm. That's a, that's a good point actually. But what about this lucky day song? Fade Away, Ed, I'm going to say this first and foremost. Lucky Day knows how to make R&B music, period. Yes, he does. And I told y'all this back when he was writing and producing for my man King Keith. I told you that he was doing some good stuff. And yes, this is yet another one. 
And again, my complaints about the her song isn't what that it was bad. It was just that it was a little, I don't know, run of the mill. It was typical. It was expected. Lucky Day puts out songs that sound distinctly like him. There's never a song. And I'm like, who is this? I know exactly who it is. But they all sound different. They're all different sounds, different styles, different tones. And they all have a, you know, kind of a unifying message. Because, like, again, the man knows how to write R&B. This is another good song that sounds kind of different from some of his other works, but it's still high quality. It's another win for your boy. Absolutely. And talk about wins here, Ed. Drew Hill, the fans, they finally got a win. We got some new Drew Hill music. Uh, this reincarnation of Drew Hill consists of Cisco, Nokio, Smoke, and Black from the group Playa, the record What You Need, Ed. Your thoughts on this song? I liked it. Now, um, I know that there were some... The opinions of this one kind of been all over the place that I've seen. There are some people that's like, oh, it's the best song of the year so far. I mean, it might be true. It's like the second week of February. It ain't much to choose from. So you might be right there. However, there were some people that thought it was a little... I don't know. It. I guess it's over on the Soul and Stereo Cypher. Go on Facebook. Check that out. Soul and Stereo Cypher, our Facebook group. There were a few people in it who, and no one dissed it, but they thought, eh, it feels a little too much like Jody, Jodeci. And to the point that it sounds like a kind of like a retread and not really a homage. So I can kind of see that complaint, but it didn't bother me at all. Yeah, it feels a little Jodeci-ish or Jodeci-esque, but some of Drew Hill's songs felt that way anyway. So that didn't bother me. I thought that if we're thinking about songs that... As we kind of revving up toward this comeback album that we've been talking about, I feel like a year and a half now. If this is what we're going to get, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not going to lie. When I first listened to that song and I heard like Cisco's first couple of lines, I was like, oh no, here's another Trap and B song. But once that chorus hit and I heard some harmonies, man, it's nice to hear some actual harmonies and Smoke and Black. Initially, when I listened to the song, I felt kind of weirded by the fact that Playa was on the song. And to be honest, I'm probably still a little weirded out by that. But I think for what it was, they complimented Cisco very well. I agree. Like, it felt more like, uh, when I first listened to it, it felt like Cisco featuring Playa. Like, that's what it felt like at first. But eventually, they kind of meshed together and then it sounded Drew Hillish with that Playa swag. But overall, it worked well. It didn't feel as disjointed and disconnected as many fans worried it would kind of coming out of the gate. I think that if we've seen a lot of their live performances on YouTube and um, IG stories and Instagram, you can see where these guys are out here. They are grinding. They are getting the chemistry together. And it shows here. This this is just a slapdash group thrown together. They are really a group now. And this feels like a group project. And you know I'm a big player, Stan, so it's hard for me to talk bad about my boys, but I thought this worked. And we got to give a shout-out to Troy Taylor, our boy, who produced a record, and he made it a conscious effort to, effort to ensure that every member had a part in this song, and they you could actually hear their vocals, which is true, except for Nokio, who seems to be missing from the song. And Ed, a couple of weird events that have occurred over the last week. Nokio's not oh, on the boy. song. Nokia followed that up with saying, I didn't even know we had a new single out. Followed up by, I haven't even heard the song yet. Followed up by, I've dropped my new, what was it, an album, an EP? He dropped something recently. 
<sighs> All right, player. Let's back it on up. Because it's always, it wouldn't be a soul back podcast without a little bit of drama. So, yes. Nokio, first of all, we heard that this single was going to drop Valentine's Day, which as of this recording would be the Friday coming up. <sighs> but we got it a week early. I just thought it was like, hey, maybe they just wanted to surprise us with a little surprise. So then I hear Nokia on IG saying, I didn't know this song was out. I didn't know this song existed. I'm not on this song. And I would, if I'm him, I would be in my feelings that this song drops suspiciously the same day I'm trying to promote my album that dropped. And his album, we'll talk about in a minute. But, yeah, I can't blame him for being a little weirded out. It started, as I said on Facebook, it felt like a little bit of Latavia, Latoya 2000 watching BET and you see some random girls in the new Say My Name video. I would be weirded out by that too. I don't know what's going on there, but clearly something's off. Yeah, because I was going to say, I I don't think I expected to hear Nokio on the Drew Hill record anyway, because he never really had a big vocal part in you know their previous work. He's always been behind the scenes with the songwriting and the right. production. But to hear him be confused that the song even exists, it's like, was he even there for the creative process? That's what confuses me. Again, it didn't. It's not like I heard the song and was like, "Where's Nokio? He's not here on the song." Because you know he's often not there, at least vocally. But for him to make a big deal and not know that this existed, something smells funny to me. And it just kind of frustrates me because it seems like every time this Drew Hill thing starts trying to get momentum, there's something that holds it back, and there's some drama that kind of delays things again. So I hope this is another stumbling block. Yeah, hopefully they get it together because we need that album. I know they have their unsung episode coming at the end of the month. So hopefully they get it together by then, put out the album, and then they can go hit the road. But mm-hmm. until we then, can hope. we have this. Well, until then, Ed, we got this Nokio project to discuss. You had a chance to listen to it. <sighs> I listened to it, player. Now, we have talked many times about how it's important for fans to realize that artists need to have room to grow and experiment and try new things. I ain't mad at Nokio for trying to do some experimentation here. This was like rock meets, trap meets, auto-tune meets, outer space, Jupiter, Neptune, Mars. I don't know. It was some weird stuff going on in this thing. And because it was trying so hard to be experimental, it felt way too all over the place to me. It was... I could not wrap my ears around this thing. Well, it's pretty well established that Nokio is like the genius of the group. So he's going to be a little eclectic with his sound. But yeah, I'm with you. This was a a little too cool for school, as as they say. (laughs) Putting it mildly, yes. I mean, it sounds like school on Jupiter. Because I was like, what is going on here? And again, sometimes kind of going left works. Because there are times when artists can kind of really find themselves doing something different. We talked about Miguel and his Rock Inspire albums. I thought those things work well. But this, it felt like he was trying to go somewhere. And it just ended up being like, I'm going to play around in the studio and try this stuff. And it didn't work. 
It's like he's trying to find a new sound and we're listening to him go through the growing pains. And that's not really what this should be. That's the stuff that you keep in the vault. Like you work that out. And then once you click, then you give us the new sound with the new flow that works. This feels like he's still trying to figure things out. And when you put that as your best foot forward, your fans going to be mad confused, dog. Right. Well, Ed, uh, some more news for you here. Monica currently is in the studio with the Neptunes. And that seems kind of like a weird collaboration. I don't know. I, I never really thought the Neptunes would work with Monica. It didn't really seem like it would mesh, but apparently I'm hearing good things about it here. I don't think it's a weird at all. I think it's odd that they haven't linked up before. When you think about it, Monica's an Atlanta-based artist. A lot of the Neptunes have... A lot of their biggest hits have come from Southern artists. Ludacris, her cousin, in fact. A lot of um, a lot of their his successes come from Neptune's beats. So I think it could work. And anything to revitalize her sound, I think is cool. Now that your boy Chaz back on board, could be some heat coming on here. So I'm looking forward to it. It could be something worth mentioning. Well, Ed, I'm glad that Chapter 38 is on the way. Um, even though she's 39 now, so maybe we'll get an album title uh, renaming thing going on. But until then, I just hope, Ed, that Monica gets her publishing from the Neptunes. Oh, my. I figured we were going to go here. I mean, by the time she gets it, she might be on Chapter 57 if you ask Khalees. It's hard in these street, these publishing streets around here lately. So, Ed, let me break this down to you. Because there's a couple of instances of this happening over the last two weeks. Khalees came out in an interview and essentially said that Pharrell and Chad took all all of her publishing on her first two albums, made her sign some janky contract, and that will explain why Khalees doesn't work with the Neptunes anymore. And then a couple of days after that, Mace randomly called out Diddy and said, give me back my publishing. Um, So a lot of craziness going on here ed and you know we're always in the discussion of telling artists new artists that are you know signing on the on the dotted line that make sure you read everything through because once you sign that paperwork whatever you've signed that's the law but i know you have a different side to this can you just kind of fill us in because i think from your perspective because the information wasn't readily available like it is today Back in the 90s, you were pretty much signing away that paperwork for your dream. Exactly. And I think that when people are being critical of these artists, they're missing out on perspective. And that's something that I love to fuss about on social media with everybody being so woke and wise. You're missing out nuance and perspective. And that's how you have to frame all of your arguments. First, let me go back to my man, Pastor Mason Bethel, right quick. Because I know you were saying that like, Oh, it was kind of random that he came at Puff. Actually, it was not random at all. Because as we discussed last week, there have been some inconsistencies, for lack of a better word, found with the Grammy folks. And Mr. Sean Combs decided to have some grandstand speech that was like, Grammys, you have one year to get it together and support our artists and blah, blah, blah. You know, he on his woke thing now. So Mace came out and was like, well, speaking of yelling at white conglomerates for black artists, why don't the black artists support other black artists? Because apparently Mace had signed over his stuff to Puff 
for like, I don't know, something like $2,000, something ridiculous, years and years ago. So recently, Puff, I will Mace asked to buy it back from Puff. I think he said in $2 million in cash. And Puffy still said no. So in his mind, Puffy is holding his stuff hostage. Of course, there are two sides. We don't know the other side. But that's what Mace is saying. That he is not just some guy out here begging. He's a guy that was signed a contract that he didn't understand at a young age. Now he has the money. And again, social media loves to say, why he wait so long? Why'd you wait so long? He said that he waited so long because he was not in the position at the time to just throw rocks. He wanted to get his money right. Once he got his money right, he was going to go to Puffy as a businessman and say, okay, I'm ready to negotiate. Give me back what I have earned. Old Puffy, y'all hero, still said no. So on the business sense, I guess Puff can do it. As a human sense, it comes out pretty hypocritical when you're yelling at the Grammys about doing the right thing morally and you're being a scumbag yourself. So I don't blame Mace for being annoyed. But let's circle back to Khalees' point because Khalees and Mace are in the same boat, really. Khalees signed a bad contract with some people that she thought were her friends. Mace signed a bad contract with somebody that he thought was his friend. It's easy for us in 2020 after we have seen six seasons of Unsung and all of this stuff to say, oh, well, they should have known what they signed. But we are talking about artists in the 90s who were literal teenagers, literal teenagers when they were signing this stuff. So you see your heroes come to you, say, hey, you're talented. Sign on the dotted line. I'll give you a couple thousand dollars your way and you'll be a big deal. They say, okay, cool. Plus, not only is this guy a billionaire or millionaire or whatever, he's my friend. I trust him. They have maybe some little janky lawyers look at things. But a lot of times we're talking about people, young kids, artists who either their parents aren't involved. Their parents don't have the legal background to understand this. Sometimes they don't come from a background of financial means to understand contracts and things like that. So we've seen a million TLCs and young artists get snowballed because they didn't understand the inner workings of the business. And we can say now, oh, they should have done this and that. But in 1991, they didn't know that. They didn't know these things. So um, in a legal standpoint, it's fair for the Neptunes. It's fair for Puff. Legally, the laws on their side is nothing they can do. But morally, they're trash. That's just all it is to it. And you can't throw stones at artists who were 16 and 17 when they were kind of influenced at the time. It's just not fair. Well, Ed, I understand everything that you're saying, and you're not wrong. And what I want to do is understand the perspective from the likes of Puff and the Nut- and the Neptune back in the 90s, because like everyone knows, these janky contracts that people were signing, this was the norm. And not saying that, not saying that it was right, but from a business perspective, I'm wondering if Puff needed to lay out the contract that way just to ensure that he would be able to make money back off the investment of pushing Mace, developing Mace, and you know creating the music. That's the only thing I can think of um, for the reason why he would even draw up a contract like that. Because, I mean, as evil as we think P. Diddy is, I don't think 
he was doing some masterful plan to screw Mace over. I think he was just perhaps looking out for himself as opposed to looking out for his friend. No, that's exactly right. I don't think it's wise to say that Puffy is the devil or... Although I have other issues with Puff that we don't get on here that make me not like him. But even um, with Chad and Pharrell, same thing. Like, I don't think that they were intentionally trying to derail these artists' careers, but they were setting up these contracts to benefit them. Because, again, look at hindsight. At the time, they're taking a risk. They don't know that Puffy or Mace would be the biggest artist on Bad Boy next to Biggie. He didn't know that at the time. He just saw talent. Same thing with Khalees. They saw talent. They didn't know how big she was going to get. However, they still skew those contracts to them. Like, they were not going to screw themselves. They put themselves in a kind of a advantageous situation. So, I don't blame them as far as they weren't out to screw them. But in the long run, they still were not... I wouldn't say they weren't forthcoming, but... They kind of, when you're working with younger artists, well, younger, honestly, they weren't even artists at the kid time. You're talking about kids who are looking up to them. You are influencing them, and you are not giving them the tools that they needed to understand a contract. Because they aren't going to do that, because that's going to take away their leverage and their power. It's the shadiness of business, and it sucks. So that's why I say that business is on their side. Puff, I mean, Mace will never get the stuff back from Puff if he doesn't want to. I remember years ago when Jadakiss said he was going to throw a refrigerator on Puffy if he didn't get his stuff back. Because the way those contracts are set up, it is going to be in the advantageous corner of the businesses. And that's what Puffy is. So, again, I'm not mad at as far as the business end. They're doing what they got to do. But morally, especially people who are like, oh, I'm your friend. I got your back. I'm doing this for you. That's where I have the issue because they're using that leverage to kind of sway professional, uh, impressionable minds just for another book. Well, Ed, couldn't one argue that if it weren't for the Neptunes, if it weren't for Diddy, Mace wouldn't have Feel So Good and Khalees wouldn't have Milkshake. And those two songs have allowed those two artists to go on tour probably forever to make money for their family. Sure. Make money for the family. Meanwhile, artists who corporations and conglomerates that had little input in it are the ones getting big checks. So if Puff is getting, well, I keep saying Puff, if Mace is getting $10 off of Feel So Good, really he's taking home two and the eight's going to Puff? I'm just using this as an example. I don't know how it's breaking down. But that's why artists are annoyed because it's like, hey, that's my property. At least give me my fair share. Don't just give me crumbs while you're eating cakes off stuff that you didn't really have anything not say anything toward but you didn't have the heavy lifting your name isn't on this so that's why i definitely get it as a writer i can understand that if i wrote this let's say i wrote this incredible piece for this organization while i was working under their banner i my name is still on it so if i win a pulitzer prize for it but the organization gets it and i don't that's whack. Just because I was working for the organization doesn't mean that, that me- they should get all the credit for it. And I think that's why the artists are struggling. Because it's not that they should get 100 Well, maybe they think they should get 100%. That's a different issue. But they should be getting the majority of it. So it doesn't matter if the other artists put them on. 
they were the ones whose name is on the front. They're associated with it. They did the legwork. They should get the bigger piece of the pie. From their perspective. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not how the music industry works. Go ask Beyonce. All those records that she claimed she wrote and she didn't really do much on it. You got to love it. That's the business for you, Ed. Well, that's I look at Puff. What has he actually produced? Even though if you go through and look as a producer credit on anything, did he actually produce some of that stuff? Or was that just his hit squad or whatever those dudes were back in the day? No, that's what it is. It's business. But again, it's shady business. And just because the law is on your side doesn't make it morally correct. Right. Well, Ed, let me bring up a name here. And this woman just performed at the Super Bowl last week and looked great. Jennifer Lopez. Can we talk about J-Lo for a second? Oh, Lord, I guess. I have been fussing about J-Lo for, I swear, seven days now. So let's keep going. Well, can I ask a question? Because I think Tom posed this to, to us recently. She asked, at what point in Jennifer's, Jennifer Lopez's career was she R&B? Because I think Tom's firm on the stance that she was never R&B. Your thoughts? No, I, well, you know how Tom is. Tom has a has a mindset of what he thinks R&B is, and it never deviates. And I am much more generous because, like I have been saying all through this episode, there's nuance here, and there are things that everything is not as black and white as the world tends to make it. I think J Lo definitely had R&B songs. The the J the joints with Ja Rule, those were R&B songs. There were songs, her early, early, early tracks were R&B songs. The joint with LL, that was an R&B song. Typically, she has been a pop artist, but there have been times where she dipped her toe in R&B, and that's fine. That it happens. Like, there's few artists that are just like, well, I wouldn't say few, but there is, it's not uncommon for an artist to be categorized as one thing. But then kind of jump back and forth in different genres. Just what happens. Overall, she's pop, but she's made R&B songs. Sure. And Jennifer Lopez has actually gotten a lot of hate from the So In Stereo Cypher because people claim that she steals music, that um, she leaves her demo vocals in there from like the songwriters. So if you listen to oh, Ain't God. It Funny. Wait, hey, Ed, quick question. Ain't It Funny, didn't Craig Mack sample that song? What? First of all, I'm gonna you're gonna get a sample of these hands. I think it went the other way around, player. Oh, sorry. Um, so Ashanti's actually doing backgrounds on that song, and J Lo decided to keep Ashanti's vocals in the song. Which, for some reason, in 2020, people think that's like the biggest offense you can do as an artist. But back in the day, that's just what people do. Like even if you look at "So Anxious" by Genuine, Static Major is doing the chorus, and the reason for that, guys, is because in most cases, the main artist either doesn't have time or be or, or doesn't have the vocal capabilities to mimic or recreate that sound that the original songwriter has created. So that's why they just leave those background vocals in there. So for people well, to come at just J-Lo like for it. that, yeah. So for people to come at JLo for that, I think it's a little crazy. I don't know why people are coming rid- after her for that. Well, they're just coming out to her because it's J-Lo, and we just want to have an excuse to champion the artist we love. I mean, look at, listen to, what was the joint? Well, um, Aaliyah, um, come over, and Tank is moaning and groaning in the background. Like, I mean, that's not uncommon that background vocals are left on. This whole big scandal about she stole Ashanti's career is absolutely ridiculous. And there was a, 
a contingent of folks that were like, oh, Ashanti should have been on the Super Bowl with her. To do what? To take selfies in the background? You want her whispering all over the Super Bowl? I'm good. She can stay on Instagram where you can keep liking her pics, Kyle. But no, it's ridiculous. That is not uncommon for an artist to leave background vocals on. Yes, apparently Ashanti was on a couple of the Ain't It Funny joints. Okay, that's fine. I think she was in the video too. Whatever, it's alright. But that's just part of the game. And that's how it's always been. It's weird that we're just picking this instance apart. And again, I think it's just because there's a segment that wants... There's, there's a segment that's really hungry for R&B to win. And R&B hasn't had a big win on a major stage in a long time. So we start, I don't know, grasping at straws. And that's what this feels like to me. This ain't a big deal, y'all. Well, Ed, this might actually be a play of please, but I'm not going to put it in there because it's my girl. But apparently what happens at Ashanti's concerts now, she actually performs Ain't It Funny. She gives you know some background information on how... Her and Ja wrote the song and gave it to J-Lo with no hate, really. She just explains the situation. And then when she performs it in the back where the screen is, she'll have like a PowerPoint. And I kid you not, it's like a PowerPoint slide of photos of instances where Ja Rule, Ashanti, and J-Lo are standing next to each other. I'm not really sure what her point is in all that, but I thought that was pretty funny. I saw the PowerPoint presentation. You really got a PowerPoint, a Windows 97 PowerPoint presentation at a professional show. Please tell me that we need to do better. Because what is your girl doing? And yes, that's a Player Please Award. I might have to throw it on my year-end Player Please Awards. Because that was a hot mess. Wow. (laughs) So, let me ask you this, though. Since we're on the topic of background vocals... And I know a lot of our readers were very critical of J-Lo because in their mind, if she's utilizing these demo background vocals, they should be credited at least as a feature. Do you think that's fair? Because would you, would, should it be the case where, let's use So Anxious for example, it should be Genuine So Anxious featuring Static Major. Again, that's up to the artist. I didn't see... Um... What's the joint with your girl? Brandy featuring Joe on Angel of Mine. I mean, Angel in Disguise. Angel of Mine is Monica's song. But the point is, I think it's at the artist's discretion. And again, we were fussing out something that happened in like 2001, 2002. If Ashanti had beef, she could have brought it up then. I think that it's one of these things now that has become, the legend has become bigger than the issue. And it's like, oh, she should get a feature credit. And she probably could have. I don't know what should have. is because there are politics that goes into that. If she had gotten one, cool. I think that would have been cool. I don't think it's out of line. But saying that she should have definitely got one. Doesn't make sense when you look back at the history of R&B and you can think of many, many, many instances where you would hear background vocals of other artists. And it was almost kind of fun back before we had Google to like try to pick out who was that singing. Or it's like, oh, is that Joe? That is. That sounds like Joe. You just kind of had to figure out things in the 90s and early 2000s before we had all these tools. So could it? Yes. Should it? Uh, probably. I don't say should. But if they want to credit them, all right. But again, why are we making such a big deal about this? Well, can we give a quick shout out to Keith Sweat? Always. I don't know why, but always. Well, we're talking about business ethics here, and I'm looking at his Wikipedia. He actually 
credits the feature on all of his hit records like Nobody or Twisted. So we got to get love the keeps for for that. Uh, always and like it will be at the times. There are times where he's credited the most random theme background vocalist that you've never heard of, and you're like you never hear this person again. But he always gives loves when it's due. So good for him. Again, that's something that an artist I feel like can do. Should they? I don't know if they should because there are politics involved. But if you're willing to do it, great. Because it helps to put, especially emerging artists, artists, sometimes the first time we see their names are on feature. So it's a good hookup. But again, I wouldn't think that J-Law was some evil woman that was holding down Ashanti's career just because she didn't put her on a feature behind that. Well, do you think Irv Gotti would have been the evil one? Yes. Always. That's always <laughs> oh, correct. Come answer. on. <laughs> oh, man, Ed. Well, Ed, I asked another question to the people on Twitter, and we don't really have to talk about this for a long time, but I just made an observation. So I posed the question to people, is anyone still excited for new R. Kelly music? Ooh. Man, and I know your mentions were on fire, player. Well, what was surprising was it was 50-50. There's actually a lot of R. Kelly fans that are still waiting for new music from him. And my whole thing is... You know, yes, he is a legend and he's created a lot of great music. And I, for one, I never, um, you know, judge someone's personal life for, you know, their career. But I think just on a musical level, what was the last great R. Kelly song? I want to say it was like Love Letters. I'm, I think I would have to like pull up his entire discography. The last R. Kelly song... That I really remember liking. What was the joint with Carrie Hilson? And it was like, this is number one. Oh, like, number I remember. One, yeah. I remember. Yes, that one I kind of liked. That was something with a Michael Jackson sample, too, that I remember liking. And again, these are just random songs here or there. Because to your credit, there has. The last good R. Kelly project was probably Love Letter. And that's just because it was. Such a throwback to just classic R&B. It was not that black panties garbage where it's like, let me be as ridiculous and salacious as possible. And I sound like a 13-year-old. So, and that buffet, that was like a kind of hot and cold mix. Kind of a hot mess. It was just everywhere. I think that was his last good project. But there have been a couple okay songs here and there. I got to figure out that... Michael Jackson sample song. I'm sure somebody will hit me on Twitter at E.T. Bowser and tell me what I'm forgetting. But we're in this weird place of R. Kelly. And I don't want to spend too much time on it because, as I told you, there is no winning the R. Kelly argument. There's absolutely no winning. There are people who message me to this day. They will find articles I've written about him 10 years ago and will yell at me because they will say, how dare I write an article about a man who has done such evil things? And then there are others who will be defenders of him who will hit me up and say, you need to write more of him because he hasn't been convicted of anything. And you're contributing to the problem. We're proving this man guilty before he's been proven innocent. Nah, blah, blah, blah. You cannot win the argument because it's such a divisive character. For me, I feel like some people can separate artists from music. They can appreciate what he's done or his artistry. And recognize that he's a terrible person, allegedly. Some people cannot. And I think that people need to realize that that's a personal choice. You can't make someone feel like you feel. So if you don't want to mess with him no more, 
Don't mess with him no more. If you can still rock with him, rock with him. But I still think that every allegation made against him should be taken seriously and not just being like, oh, they just want his money. What money? What money R. Kelly got now? Every time you see him, he at McDonald's. He ain't balling like that. Right. So just play it. Just make sure that you are fair to the victims. Everybody needs. I'm not saying that you need to agree in a. Every time someone makes an accusation, we believe them with like no facts. But every story needs to be heard. So there'll be no winning. I don't ever care to hear another R. Kelly song ever again. That's just me. I'm done with them. But that doesn't mean that if someone wants to listen to new music, they can. Have fun. There are 20 years of songs you can listen to. But I will say, as an unbiased reviewer, that I can say that when it comes to I would say the 90s and even going up to modern day, he's probably the most influential R&B artist of my generation, without question. It's just how it is. Facts or not, no matter what he's done, that's, those are facts. And I think people can't live with that, but it is what it is. I'm not going to stop say the truth. But again, don't listen to him if you don't want to. And don't, who cares what the other person's listening to? Stay in your lane. Actually, it's really funny, this whole cancel culture thing, for the reason that I recently tweeted out that R&B probably stands for R. Kelly and Babyface. Someone replied back to that <laughs> and said, it actually stands for Robin Thicke and Babyface. And I'm like, Robin Thicke? <laughs> Robin Thicke? Oh my gosh. Stop it. And I asked him, like, what has Robin Thicke done that makes you think he's the, he's the R and R&B? And his reply was, well, at least he's better than R. Kelly. So, there's that. <laughs> I, I mean, I would hope that there... I would hope that no one is as bad as what R. Kelly is accused of doing. But, Robin Thicke, we know that he got some issues too. So, I'm not casting a stone at a man that lives in a glass house. Because everybody's jacked up. And, there, and trust me, y'all. There are many stories out there that are pretty horrible. That have not reached the surface of the mainstream yet. We've all heard some stuff. Behind the scenes. So it's just important to not glamorize these artists, y'all. Respect their artistry. But these dudes aren't saints. I don't put any, you know, if I hear that my favorite artist beat somebody in the ground, I'm like, oh, that was terrible. They still made great songs, but that was terrible. I'm not going to defend them, but these people are not angels. It's the whole thing about never meeting your heroes because they will disappoint you. I remember I interviewed Keith and he was asleep on the phone. <laughs> this is true. Um, but Ed, if R. Kelly is not the R&R-B and neither is Robin Thicke, here are a couple more options for you. We have Ray J. Okay. What? I'm just, I'm just naming the R's here. Uh, Rihanna? You are doing a terrible job. Or the last one, Ruben Stuttered, who I guess wins by default. Okay, we'll go with Ruben, because <laughs> at least he's an R&B artist, and at least he's not complete garbage. So, there you go. Wow, so we have the teddy bear, and we have the face. Those are the two <laughs> that stand for r and I like it. Oh my gosh. You know Ruben stays here in Birmingham. I'll probably see him. Ran- I saw him randomly getting lunch one day. When I- I'll grab him and be like, did you know you are now the R and RB? I'm sure he's like, alright. Wait, does he get mobbed on the streets? 
mobbed on the streets? This play, I said it was Ruben Stutter. It's not Michael Jackson. Yo, he won American Idol at one point. In 2003? Yes, he did. And he apologized for a whole year after. That's that's good Yes, he spent a whole 2004 apologizing. I still that say that star is better than Beyonce's. Calm down, calm down. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he is, yes. Calm down, Ed. He is beloved. He's beloved in Birmingham, but he's not mobbed every time he walks the streets. Ruben's cool. Well, do you think there's more of a chance of him being mobbed in Birmingham or Chad being mobbed in VA? As sadly as it is, I think Chad could kind of walk down the VA with Magoo and go to Taco Bell, and both of them would be perfectly fine. Wow. <laughs> and that's that. So, well, Ed, Magoo told you. That's true. <laughs> so, before we get out of here, Ed, we have to talk about this ranking that you did of the Genuine discography. Now, you know how much I love Genuine. Oh, yes. And I've yes, and I've rankings. been looking forward to this. And I have a couple of questions, but before we do I that, let's, let, let's, let's look at the rankings here. Okay. I think the lowest on the list was, was it Back to the Basic? Back to the Basics, 2005's Back to the Basics. Um, I've, one thing that I've got as far as kind of feedback on this ranking is that Genuine's albums, other than the top three, and you know, we'll get to those later on. It seems like opinions are mixed all over the place on these albums. There are some people that say this album was awful. There were some that said it's like in his top three or four. I thought it was... Well, G does not have bad albums per se. But a lot of the albums post The Life are just very uneven. And this is the most uneven of the uneven ones. Lots of okay mid-tempo tracks. Lots of forgettable radio joints. And unfortunately, this one is one that just had more forgettable than solid. And I also give this album a play a please for false advertisement because Back to the Basics meant he was supposed to work with Timbaland. It did not happen on this album. That's what I thought it meant, but we were all fooled. And then next, you have the I Apologize album, which is not actually a genuine album, but I guess it has some solid songs on there. Not at all. Like it's, I honestly totally forgot it existed until I was researching it, and then I saw a lot of people kind of claiming it as a genuine album. And since its discography isn't gigantic, I was like, eh, I'll throw it on, just as you know, just as a little bonus. And it's not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. It's a compilation of genuine and a bunch of other random artists. And for the most part, he's on almost all the songs, and he has a few solo joints. And it's not bad. The main issue with it is just it is so poorly mixed. It is one of those albums that sounds like he's singing in a soup can. So you know that that gets an automatic star deduction for me. So that's kind of what hits it hits it hardest. But the actual songs sound pretty good. And with a little bit of fine tuning, this could have been an alright album. Isn't there a song with like G-Dep and Loon on the album? Yes, yes, my boy G-Dep, who I thought was extremely underrated, by the way. Loon is Loon, but I love some G-Dep. I thought he had, I thought he had something. Unfortunately, then he had a court case. <laughs> yep. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about this album, the record It's Real 
it's always irked me for years because I think there's like a female vocalist singing the, the verses and then all of a sudden genuine with his poorly mixed vocals come in at like volume 120 and he's just belting away. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is so odd. I don't know if just no one mixed this album or what, but it is all over the place. If they tighten it up, might have been higher on the list. And then after that, it was the Elgin album. Now, this album, I remember, it came out in, what, 2011, I want to say, maybe 2010, mm-hmm. and I thought it was just an okay album, but a fun fact for you, Ed, the song Frozen, which is like the biggest ripoff of Icebox by Genuine, that was written by <laughs> Sir. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. But yeah, this album, I know this was around the time we were getting Grown Man Genuine, and I will. I know I will get some hate for this. Hit me up on Twitter, E.T. Bowser. Throw your hate tweets there. I will promptly hit delete. But this album, to me, I feel like is very comparable to Usher's Here I Stand. Because it's an album where he was like, I'm going all in on this grown man thing. And fans just did not want to hear it. And that doesn't mean it was bad, because it's not a bad album. I feel like if it came out today, people would really celebrate it. But in 2011, people were still hankering for that pony, and it just was a little bit too mature from the room. He had some of those Diane Warren songs that were like well-written, but again, very, very mature and not the crazy, sex-crazed genuine that we love. But as a project, I thought it was pretty solid. So again, another solid but somewhat unmemorable album from your boy. And here's where I have my problems with this list. You have A Man's Thoughts at number five and The Senior at number four. I thought The Senior would have been like last on this list. And the man's, and a Man's Thoughts is probably number four to me. Because I remember when The Man's well, Thoughts came out in 2009. That was a solid album. The Senior, when it came out it in 2003, was. it went straight to the recycling bin. And I can't blame you. Because again... This is why when I do these, I make sure that I listen to all of them in the moment and I don't just go by nostalgia. Because if I went by just nostalgia, I would have thrown the senior at the bottom and just been like, oh, that's his worst album. But let me go to a man's thoughts first, because I agree with you. I think of all of the latter day Gene Wine albums, it's the best one. Again, it got a bad rap because this was, I don't know how well in 2009 you heard it, but on my end of the world... This was promoted as the comeback album because he's back with Timberland and Missy. Oh, it's going to be like old times. And they had one song together and it's one of the worst songs on the album. So that I feel like casts a cloud over it. But as an album itself, I thought it was pretty good, especially for those ones, again, that were kind of the, the next stage of his career. I thought this one stood out probably the best out of all of those. And The Senior. Yes, in 2003, I hated this album. I did not like the singles. I didn't like anything. Even in those jeans, which is a song everybody loves, I thought it was kind of eh, it's kind of mundane. It wasn't terrible, but I thought it was kind of boring. But listening to it in 2020, a lot it, that second half of that album is chock full of very very strong mid tempo songs, and it also has a cheat code because he threw "Stingy" from the Barbershop soundtrack on it there too. So that almost gives it another half star alone. So if you kind of cut out the kind of whack radio singles and stick to the solid mid-tempo joints that make up most of the album, it's not bad. It's got a lot of stuff that needs to be burned to never be seen again. 
But as an overall project, it's actually much better than you remember. Mm, yeah, after I heard that sex song that Scott Storch produced, I was out. And I'm still out, Ed. That's still the worst album um, in his discography. Yeah, but again, you're going by 2003 mentality. You got to go with it, the 2020 mentality. Because I would have said the same thing. I listened to the whole thing a few days ago, twice. It's stronger than you remember. All right, maybe I'll do that after this podcast. But let's get into the top three here. You have The Bachelor at number three, The Life at number two, and 100% at number one. I would probably mm-hmm. put The Bachelor at number two, but I can't be mad at you because I've always felt like The Life is very underrated. Very, very underrated. Um, I thought The Bachelor at the time, to be honest, I, when I heard The Bachelor the first time, I thought it was good, but I never thought it was as great as a lot of people said. And that's something that kind of I wanted to see if it held up when I revisited it, and it's kind of true. Again, it's not bad. It's very good and actually quite groundbreaking because it was one of the first of the Timberland static kind of that when they were developing that incredible sound that took over the late 90s. This is one of the first projects that did that. But because of that, there's a few growing pains. There's some songs that I don't care about on this album. And that's why I kind of it's a little uneven. And there even sometimes and this never happens in, a, in the later Timberland joints. Where some of the beats sound a little samey. So there are a couple songs that sound a little too similar to me. Again, that's something Timberland quickly grew out of. But you could tell that this album was, they were finding their way. Very, very good and important album. But not as flawless as kind of nostalgia paints it. But The Life, I feel like is an album that really, in my mind, is almost as good as 100% Genuine. The only reason I went with 100% is number one is because... That one has better songs. The best songs on that album are better than the best songs on The Life. But when you look at The Life as an overall package, which is what I always do when I'm ranking albums, I feel like The Life is the most airtight album Genuine has ever done. No filler. There's nothing that I would cut out. Whereas 100% Genuine has a couple joints, eh, he could have left them off. But they just, the best songs don't quite reach as high as 100% Genuine. So that was number one. The Life's number two is super duper close, but I love both. Good point on that, Ed. Yeah, and then just to go back to The Bachelor, I would agree with that. There's a couple of songs that sound exactly like Pony. It has that burping noise, which kind of annoyed me. But I grew out of that. And Ed, are you saying that you would take out She's Out of My Life by Michael Jackson off Genuine's album? Yeah, probably. Actually, I would. I might keep that one, but I would probably take the um the Prince cover out. I never liked that that much. Damn, I'm actually really curious to hear what people think about those two covers. I personally like both, but it'd be interesting to find that out. But um, Ed, we're gonna have to do a little more of these rankings another time. Uh, I, I know we yep. have a head-to-head for Brandy discussion coming up in the short. In, in the next couple of weeks, but like, can we get into the soul back track of the day really quickly here? We definitely can. Well, last week was the passing of Kobe Bryant, so rest in peace to Kobe, and Brian McKnight actually released a tribute record to him called Can't Say Goodbye, but Ed, do you remember back in the day when Brian McKnight and Kobe had a record out together? I certainly do. Um, and shout out to my man, Luke James, not the singer, talking about the reviewer. Shout out my boy, one of the best reviewers out 
next to myself, of course. But he reminded all of us in the Soul Mysterio cipher that yes, Brian and Knight did a track with Kobe, and I remember it very, very well back in the day. Kobe be rapping? Well, he tried to. Yeah, didn't he also have a song with like Tyra Banks? <laughs> he definitely did. I really wanted. There was someone who put in a request a few years ago, in fact, who was like. You need to do a post on all the basketball players who tried to become rappers. And I am so regretting that I never did that now. Because that would have been quite the tribute to your man Kobe. K-O-B-E featuring Tyra Banks. And I'm sure there's someone out there that still wants a Tyra Banks album. Not me, though. Um, Maybe Tyra, but nobody else. <laughs> So, Ed, that seems to be it for this week's Soulback Podcast. What's going on with Soul and Stereo? Man, lots of big things over at Soul and Stereo. Check it out. You mentioned earlier Head to Head. I've been really excited about this. So we've got a new feature called Head to Head with Ed. Basically, it's me bringing in a, a fan of an artist, a stand, so to speak. And we go back and forth on some hot topics, whether it's we're discussing their best albums or their best single or their worst single or their best video or, you know, their worst album. So it's me kind of going back and forth with a mega fan. And our first artist that we took on was T.I. Shout out to my man, Alex Goodwin, one of our writers at Soul and Stereo. Had a great post. We had a lot of fun doing that post. We got a lot of good feedback. So we're continuing it. We've got posts coming up on Brandy, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Jagged Edge, going to try to get Tom in for Music Soul Child. We got a bunch of stuff coming up. So a lot of people are excited about the feature. So check that out. Also check out our Genuine album ranking. We got that one coming soon. And a couple of weeks ago, I had the pleasure of going to Macon, Georgia to kind of explore and study the history of R&B in the South. And I have a very cool post coming up very soon on the impact of Otis Redding and his impact on R&B. So that should be up this week, too. Awesome. And then over at You Know I Got. So I actually got an interview with a couple of artists coming up. So we have JoJo Haley from Jodeci and Casey and JoJo. He's set to release his new single on Valentine's Day. So I'm going to be talking to him. And I'm also going to be interviewing Mario. Um, I think he has something coming up in in the, in the near future. His publicist reached out to me. Actually, his publicist said, hey, are you guys still doing the Soulback podcast? We're ready for uh, we're ready to record, and I'm like, yeah, we don't bring in special guests anymore, so sorry, but we'll still interview what? him. <laughs> I'm sure you will not turn down an interview, and if they wanted to make an exception, we'd be cool with that too. So it's all up Absolutely. to them. Absolutely, but uh, yeah, I think he has something coming up in in the near future. So I'm going to be talking to him. He's kind of hit like Nivea status as well, where he's almost there. So I think one more no show, and I think he's officially <laughs> in the Nivea Hall of Fame. <laughs> Oh my gosh, hopefully we don't have another one in his Nivea status, although your boy Sean Stockman is up there. But that's a combo for another time. That is, and I think Boys to Men is set to release something on Valentine's Day as well, but we'll get into all of that next week, Ed. I think we're out of here for this week. Alright, player, tell Tom happy birthday. Hope he's eating some nice bland chicken. Ah, will do. I'll talk to you next week, Ed. We out. <laughs>